0: So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com.
1: November of 2014 is when I ended up getting sober, and again, I thought that that was going to fix all my problems. We think that alcohol is a problem, um, but what we're really left with was, was everything, all the reasons why we drank with no solution, and no power to do about it.
0: This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes seems if you do just a little research, you can find that addiction is a prevalent trait in many business owners and high performers. Left unchecked, addiction can create subtle and not so subtle problems with our shops and make it hard to live life on life's terms. But the good news is that there are solutions and paths that we can take to overcome these vices and create a life of wholeness, health, and power. Today's guest, Chris Knuth of Star Motors European Service in California, will share his journey from being addicted and stuck to recovering and thriving. It's a great episode, so stick around. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top-performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high-converting Google ads, traffic-driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888 953 two three seven nine or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads near me effortlessly increase car count. Chris, happy to have you on the show. Oh, Thomas, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm really excited. You've got an incredible story and uh, I'm really looking forward to have everyone on the show hear it. Um, but for those that don't know you, Chris, who are you?
1: Oh great question. Start off with the hard ones.
0: Yeah.
1: Who am I? Well, um, my name is Chris Knuth. Um, I'm a shop owner um, and my shop is in Southern California in South Orange County and uh, named Star Motors European Service. And I bought the shop along with my wife back in 2008.
0: Awesome. What was that? What got you into wanting to open a shop?
1: Oh, that's that's another great question. So I was a technician. I worked on European cars. And I had always worked in independent shops. And I was working at a shop here in Encinitas, California, where I live. And uh, one day, the boss called me into the office and said that I was fired. And um, I wasn't expecting to hear that. I was expecting to hear something like, wow, we can't believe what a great technician you are and what a joy you are to work with. Um, So... That was a humbling experience because I was a very productive technician. I did good work. And um, so I found it very confusing um, to end up being fired suddenly. But looking back, I I completely understand um, why that would have happened. And so I just started fixing cars in my driveway. I lived right across the street from the ocean in Cardiff-by-the-Sea, California. And I, I thought I had a great thing going. Um, I could work in shorts and flip flops, and I could go down to the beach in the afternoon. I just was working on my own time. And uh, Emma, uh, she was my girlfriend then, she said something to me like, Oh, you know, how long are you going to work like that? And in my mind, I thought forever, you know, sounded good. And then she essentially dared me to start a shop. She said, "Well, you know, let's see you get a real shop." And it was about eight o'clock in the morning, and I thought, "Hmm, that's an interesting thing to be faced with first thing in the day." So I set out, and I came back at five o'clock that evening with a set of keys to to a shop um, at a at a gas station alongside the freeway. And I said, "All right, honey." get your overalls on. We're going to clean the grease out of this place and we're going to start fixing cars there. And, uh, an interesting aspect of this business was our lease was week to week. And so we had to pay $800 cash, um, a week for the rent. And we were welcome to stay there until they got their building permits. Um, they were going to do a big remodel. And, um, so that lasted about eight months, and we had no idea what we were doing. And it was uh, it was quite a comedy of errors, but we, uh, we built a little business, and then we got the notice that we needed to vacate, and then that sent us on a journey of trying to find a shop to buy. And so after looking at a few, I got a phone call one day from a guy who wanted to sell his European auto repair shop in San Juan Capistrano, which is about 45 minutes north of us. And so we went and looked at it and we decided we wanted to buy it. And um, we ended up with some difficulty
0: uh, working out a deal.
1: And the rest is history.
0: Can we talk a little bit about that deal? Like, What was that like? Um,
1: He wanted uh, $200,000 for the business. It's a leased property and um you know he wanted the money up front <clears throat> and so we had found a private equity company that was willing to lend us um the money and we had had a letter of intent and then probably i think it was somewhere like mid november they rescinded their offer when all the banks started crashing and the owner of star motors ended up in the hospital he was starting to have some health issues And I just went to the hospital one day and I said, look, you know, maybe it's best for both of us if you carry the note. And um, he decided to do that, but he wanted it paid off in three years. And so we signed a note um, with him and we paid him off within three years.
0: Wow. How did you do that?
1: Well, we scraped and scrounged and we... Eight beans and we did everything we could to make the payments and um, not knowing really anything about business other than um, I knew how to fix cars. <clears throat> My wife Emma um, had uh, had the experience of being the customer, so she knew what the customer wanted. and also her family growing up um, had small businesses. so she had her idea of what like a mom pops business looked like. And so we set off and um, we made it happen. But early on in 2009, so we'd only owned the business maybe three months. We were like, dang, this is hard and we need help. And so we ended up going to a marketing conference in Las Vegas. And uh, we ended up signing up with a coaching company. And we started then to get an education in, in business.
0: What were some of the lessons that you learned when you joined that coaching company that helped you in your journey?
1: Um, Well, we learned that marketing is really probably the most important aspect of business because without a customer, you don't have a business. And little did we know, we went from having a good location alongside the freeway to buying Star Motors, which is tucked back in in an industrial park. And so we had to drive traffic to that store. And that has been a challenge all all these years. I, I would say that's probably been our number one challenge is getting car count in kind of a remote area. And just geographically, we have a lot of struggles. We're right alongside the ocean. So our radius of available customers is really more like a skinny triangle, And so we learned about marketing and I learned about parts. I I thought you sold parts at list and that's what was fair. I didn't understand uh, many of those things that go into pricing auto repair and um, in hiring people, you know, it opens up a big kind of can of worms, if you will, on all the things that having realization of all the things I didn't know.
0: Yeah. So you, you learned how to market you know, the business is growing, you know, how, what kind of growth did you start seeing in the business?
1: Yeah. So my wife is a very talented marketer and promoter and artist. And so she was doing the marketing. She was also, excuse me, she was also training our, all our front counter staff on the phones. So we were really good on the phones. We were fixing cars and, um, the business started to grow. So we took it, when we first bought the business, it was doing about 40,000 a month and we took it to 1.7 million in three years. Nice. Um, But it was, you know, we had success, but Emma and I had some serious clashes on values. I wanted to spend money. She wanted to save money. I thought that we would attract success and wealth and she knew that that had to be built one block at a time. And so we had a lot of difficulties working together um, within our relationship, just interpersonal things, plus our, our values and our goals not being aligned. I wanted to grow really fast. She wanted to grow slow and steady. And so that really just started a lot of kind of inner turmoil um, that was happening in the business. Then, at the end of two thousand and eleven, Emma was involved in a car accident, and she suddenly wasn't able to work anymore. She had a concussion and she had some physical problems that she had to work through so really, that left me holding the whole bag and I didn't know how to market i didn't know how to manage people i didn't know how to uh, write a newsletter i didn't know i mean I knew how to like do direct mail because I had studied that but I started to see how much she actually did and I hadn't seen that before because I was always at the shop. I was there from open to close. I was kind of grinding it out and I didn't realize that, you know, her working remotely, how much she actually did. And so there was a lot of resentment there and like comparison and, and, you know, I did this and you don't do that. And so, you know, that all kind of, started, the cracks started to appear once Emma wasn't able to work.
0: Yeah. So at what point, what, what year was this, would this have been at this point?
1: That was in 2012. And then I struggled on doing the best I thought I could do, um, uh, up until 2014. And that's where I kind of, I hit my limit. You know, I was spending money we didn't have I was definitely not a good leader. My leadership style was do as I say or I'll get out of here. You know, um, I just didn't have the people skills. I didn't have the management skills to really, my biggest challenge was how do you get people to work together? How do you get people, because I knew where I wanted to go and I understood the numbers well enough to know that we weren't hitting the numbers. And you know, I was blaming the people on my team. I was blaming the economy. I was blaming, essentially, everyone except for myself for the shortcomings in the business. Um, I started um, drinking alcohol, and I was finding that that was a way for me to get away from uh, how difficult of a time I was having. Um, it was giving me some reprieve from just the, the environment we had at home, too, because trust me, things weren't pretty at the shop and they weren't pretty at home either. And so, my way of just avoiding everything was to just recede into drinking and, uh, like I said, spending money. And um, yeah, it all, I just really, November 2014 is when I ended up getting sober. And again, I thought that that was going to fix all my problems. I thought that, oh, it must be alcohol. That's got to be the problem. So if I just cut that out, then everything else is going to be fine. Well, I was in for a big surprise because once I got sober, and I see this in a lot of people that I work with, we think that alcohol is a problem. Um, but what we're really left was with everything, all the reasons why we drank with no solution and no power
0: to do anything about it. So you know, Chris, going back to the day that you got sober, what what was that turning point? What caused you to do that?
1: Uh, Emma and I were in couples therapy, and the counselor that was working with us, um, my wife wanted to host Thanksgiving at our house, and the the therapist asked if I would consider a stretch of sobriety through Thanksgiving. And so I basically made a deal with Emma that I wouldn't drink at all for this five-day period that we're going to have uh, people come over. And the night before I actually got sober, we got in an argument. And uh, I left the house. I went to the liquor store, got some booze. I drove up to San Juan Capistrano, and I got a hotel room. And I drank that night and I woke up the next morning and I knew I was done. I knew it was time to throw in the towel and face the music. And so I came back and uh, we had Thanksgiving and that five days has turned into over seven years of sobriety.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. What was that process of recovery like for you?
1: Um, it's like being dragged into some place you don't want to go. <laughs> and you kick I was kicking, screaming. Um I'll say I didn't go willingly. And for me, sobriety came fairly easy. Um it was essentially like quitting a habit. Um so I was able to do that, but what took longer was was recovery, was being able to get to a place internally of ease and comfort more than alcohol or smoking pot or any, or spending money could give me. And that, that was a process. That was a big elephant. I had to eat one bite at a time. And luckily for me, I had good mentors. Um, I had people in the program that, um, and also a way of doing the work As well, Um, I work a program called the Big Book Awakening, and it's basically like old school AA, is where we go through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we have a personal experience with it by turning the statements in the books into questions that we can ask ourselves. And so, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, whether you know it or not, it's really not about quitting drinking. It's about how to live life. It's about how to build the foundations of living a spiritual life. And having a spiritual awakening that's sufficient to solve all your problems. And so um, I went through that work. Um, the way we do it, it takes about six to seven months to go through all 12 steps. And I did have a spiritual awakening. It was slow. Um, but the But one part about the program that a lot of people don't realize is some people think that you do the 12 steps and that's it but really that's only half the program. The other half is working with others and taking others through this work. And as a result of doing that, we have a great format, we have a great structure of how to take people through the work that duplicates the ability to recover. And so I started taking people through the work and um, one person at a time, I also did some workshops. Um, I started to really learn that I wasn't unique and that humans have basic needs. And it's when these net needs aren't being met, we start to run into conflict in our lives. And sometimes we turn to drinking. Sometimes we turn to gambling or working too much. Or There's a million ways that what the book calls a spiritual malady can manifest in your life. And um, the big book says when we straighten out spiritually, then we also straighten out mental, mentally and physically. And I found that to be true. And taking people through the work and working on them one-on-one, I started to see what we have in common. I started to understand what makes people tick. I also started to see how people show up in the world. And it really started making more sense in my business. I started to understand really how to manage and lead people from a human level, this level where we're all the same. And so through this, I also had a lot of old ideas about leadership and about management and what that looks like or doesn't look like. And what ended up happening over time is I just discovered really who I was and how I lead by finding out what I'm not. When I start, so when I start pulling these layers away, layers of beliefs, um, I get to ask myself, well, where did I get that belief? Whose belief is that? Did I get that from my family of origin? Did I get that from my community, from my church, from business colleagues, from the culture of being an American? Where did it come from? And so I I was able to get the perspective of really looking at these things in this program I was living my life by and just asking myself if that's congruent with who I want to be. Does that feel authentic? And so I got to see where these things were coming from. And then I had the ability to choose whether that was how I was going to move forward. There's a ripple effect that comes from everything we do. It can be positive. It can be negative, right? I wanted to start to show up and, and have a positive ripple effect because The way I think, the way I'm feeling on the inside affects people on the outside, whether I'm aware of it or not. And so having this awareness of how I was showing up in the world and these expectations that were made from the beliefs I had, I just got to ask myself if that's what I wanted to hold on to. And so then I, these are the things that I wasn't these roles that I play out in the world. See, I used to see like five different, six different versions of Chris. I had a Chris at work, a Chris at home, a Chris over here, a Chris over there. And keeping up with all these personalities was crazy. It's crazy making. I wanted to get down to one Chris. I wanted to be able to be the same in all these different roles that I played. And in only... the. The only way I could get there was to find out what I'm not. And it's part of this process that now I'm able to really stand in my own power. I'm able to make decisions that align with my values. I'm able to attract people into my business that have similar beliefs and have similar values. Then I'm not struggling with buy-in. Because now we're just aligned. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is how we serve our clients. This is how we serve our community. This is how we show up in our little niche in auto repair. Right? That's what culture is. And culture comes from the leader. And I've learned a lot of this from Aaron too. You know, I'm really grateful for his ability to articulate what that is. And then it was my. To take that information, it was my responsibility to to then embody it,
0: essentially. Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their clients' sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust Leads Near Me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google-certified partners, they know how to make a top-ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me. Effortlessly increase car count. Was there a point in your journey where you said, man, I've, I've reached a level of existence that I'm happy with? Was it a very s- uh, slow progression? and where, where was that point or was there a point like that?
1: Mm, great question.
0: So um,
1: I remember in March of 2019 is where I had another turning point. Uh, I had been sober, I'd been taking people, a lot of people through the steps, um, and I kind of plateaued um, in my spiritual life. And I'm like, gosh, you know, there's got to be more, more to life. There's got to be more understanding. There's got to be more clarity. And so one aspect of the program that I hadn't really got my arms around yet was meditation. Um, so... I decided to give meditation a shot, a real shot. I said that I was going to meditate every day for six months and I'm going to see what happens. And what I learned is a lot of the work that I had done in the steps had taken a lot of the big chunks away. I kind of, I like to say that it's like having a backpack filled with rocks and We can start to take these rocks out of the backpack one at a time. We start to lighten our load, right? It feels great to not carry all that baggage around, all that weight around. That's the heaviness of life. And so once these big chunks are out, I notice there's like still like sand in the backpack. And it's through meditation that the sand is removed. These are the more subtle aspects of my own consciousness that I got to, to start to have an experience with. This just took me to another layer of depth and understanding and clarity. And that really had increased my capacity to handle stressful situations. That increased my capacity to, to have difficult conversations with people on my team because I was coming from a place of clarity. See, it's not until I get 100% clear on what it is that's happening and how I can take the delusion away from that, that's when I can have a conversation, you know, ones we call the hard conversations. Well, then they become easy because I'm just reporting the facts. I'm just reporting the news. I'm coming from a sense of detachment and objectivity. And so the emotion can still be there because we have passion as leaders, but we're able to temper that and we're able to um, communicate in a kind and clear way. And it doesn't mean it's what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear, right? And it's through cultivating meditation that I started to access this clarity and this power that I didn't know I had. So I have continued that um, I meditate every day. It's part of my spiritual practice. Um, the first two hours of my day are dedicated. That's my time. It's my time that I spend in intros- introspection. I'm big on journaling. Um, that's something that I've done for a lot of years. And um, so that's you know three and a half years of daily meditation has really expanded who I am. To a place where a lot of the doubt is removed, a lot of the uncertainty is removed, and I'm able to just show up and do what I need to do and act appropriately in all these situations.
0: So, speaking practically, you know, when I think most of our listeners uh, hear the word meditation, you know, they picture the the dude with his legs crossed and the ums and all that. Mm -hmm. what What does meditation look like for you? Yeah,
1: so meditation really is for me to be able to control my mind. Um, and there's certain ways to do that, certain techniques. Um, I use techniques that enable me to regulate my respiratory rate, my heart rate, able to calm the nervous system. It's a big problem in our society. You know, we are in constant high states of alert. Yeah. We are um, in fight or flight, right? We are addicted to the stress hormones that our bodies create, adrenaline, cortisol, right? In the animal kingdom, the adrenaline, these stress hormones are to get them out of danger. Once the threat is gone, they can balance. They get to this state of equilibrium. But humans don't do that. Our mind is different. It's our mind that's replaying all the things that have happened to us, right? it's us reliving trauma over and over and over again that keeps us in this perpetual state of fear and anxiety and then look we have autoimmune disorders we have digestion problems we have all these endocrine system problems we have problems we go to the doctors with and they have no idea what's wrong with us right this is because we have we haven't cultivated the ability to self regulate so meditation Yes, it has esoteric aspects. It also has a lot to do with our physiology. You know, animals that have the lowest heart and respiratory rates live the longest. Hmm, I wonder why that is. So we can rewire our brains. We can rewire our nervous system. We can direct our attention within ourselves to improve digestion, to... improve our ability ability to assimilate nutrients and vitamins from the food we eat. And what I've found is meditation isn't something I can just stick on to my life, give it five minutes. Over the years, meditation has become the center of my life. The more I'm able to internalize my awareness, the more I'm aware of the foods I eat and how they affect my body. And I can ask myself, is this food I'm eating taking me where I want to go? is this food I'm eating giving me the body that I want to have and I want to experience life in? Am I exercising enough? Do I have a body that's healthy enough to handle meditation? Right. So meditation became the center of my life, but I also believe that I had to do the work in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had to go to therapy. I had to rely on others to help me get to the point where I could even start to internalize my awareness and cultivate a meditation practice. There are certain things that need to happen first. It's almost like our business. We, you know, It's unlikely that we're going to be masters at business until we do the things that create mastery, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So meditation then becomes a state of living and being. More than it becomes something that we add on to our life, like going to the gym or reading books or what have you.
0: So, if someone's listening and they find themselves in the place of addiction, they're struggling with their addiction, they're deep in it. Uh, you know, maybe they're seeing how it's affecting their business, maybe they're not. Where would you recommend that they start on that?
1: Mm. Well, the most important place to start is to reach out to someone. Um, When life is not going well for us, we tend to isolate. That's what humans do, right? We shut ourselves out. That seems to be the safe, comfortable place. Um, It is through reaching out. It's through picking up the telephone um, and calling someone and saying, I'm screwed. I don't know what to do. That's that space where healing starts. It's when we do that uncomfortable thing and that we also allow others to help us.
0: So you spent the last eight to 10 years cultivating this life. Undoubtedly, your shop had effects. Walk us through what you saw in the shop as you are getting healthy?
1: Ah. Well, the unhealthy people stand out. See, before there was confusion. Was it my leadership or is it them? Um, One thing that I'm able to really see clearly now is what's mine and what's someone else's. And I don't take that on anymore. And so what happens is, is when you start to create a culture of accountability, a culture of transparency, a culture of service, really, you know, the people that want more of that will stay. The people that feel threatened by that or think it's nonsense, the, they just leave, right? So what happens is the healthier you get, you start bringing like-minded people into your organization and you just start trading these positions out. So. I lead by example as well, right? And so that has really helped our communication. Um, I believe that we are there to provide an exceptional experience for our customers. You know, so I put the, in my business. I put my focus on the customer and on our team. And um, anyone that's taken my class knows that I like to blame everything on the customer. So if there's a system that we need to get on board with like the board. Well, why would we do the board? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I can blame it on the customer so we can keep the customer in the know. And so like Ryan Blair said, we can keep them from falling off the roller coaster or it can be because the boss said so.
0: Yeah. Very different view sets. Very
1: different. This starts to create a culture of putting the customer first. When you put the customer first, the money will follow right? Success follows that. I spent too many years focusing on the money. All the money did was run from me as fast as it could. Because even if I caught it, what the heck would I do with it? I would just waste it anyway. Yeah.
0: So where do things stand now with your shop? So
1: I, the last time I stepped foot in my shop was July 15th. It's been a minute. It's
0: been a minute.
1: Um. The five star reviews are still coming in, a couple a day, sometimes more. Um, My team—I have seven technicians, I have one service advisor and a front counter assistant—and they're on track to do three hundred fifty thousand this month.
0: Nice.
1: We just went from nine bays to twelve bays, and I have a shop that has, has value in the community. I have a shop that, when customers walk through the front door, they can feel. The synergy. They can feel the enthusiasm of the entire team. There's not a disconnect in the front from the back. Um, I have systems in place that everyone is bought into because they know that that's the best way to create an experience that we can duplicate over and over and over again. Um, I have out of seven technicians, five of them are ATEX. One is a B, plus and the other is probably a B. So, what happens is, and when I recruit technicians, I don't really recruit them. The last guy that he actually started today, another technician referred him. So, I, I built a place where people want to work. I built a place where customers want to come and have their car serviced. We can probably talk about this in a minute, too. We have, um, we have a nonprofit that um, that is providing opportunity in the community. And th- this has created some a place where people want to work and people want to come and people want to be a part of. And so um, my shop requires very little management, hands-on management from me, but what it does require is my influence. It does require my energy and it does require my leadership still, even if I'm not in the building.
0: And you built that because you started with getting healthy.
1: Of course. Yeah, it would not have been possible otherwise. Yeah.
0: Tell us about the nonprofit.
1: Yes. Um, APAC ATI is a nonprofit technician training apprentice program that um, I started working on in September of 2020. It is based off of our apprentice program that I've had at Star Motors since 2014. Uh, I call it an an immersion style of learning. So I try to take everything that I think doesn't work at trade schools. And I created a curriculum and a training model that works in any repair shop. And what's great about it is, is our students are learning on cars that they'll see every day they're learning how to create parts and labor estimates. We're teaching them how to use all data. We're teaching them how to be a part of a winning team. We're teaching them how to communicate and how to add to the culture of a workplace. So it's more than just training them how to work on cards. It's actually how to be great team members. And so um, over the last couple of years, we've formed an amazing board of directors and, um, on the nonprofit side, we are creating opportunities for veterans, for people that have been in incarcerated, um, and also people in the recovery community as well. So part of the APAC ATI is this network of student referrals. So there are a couple of things I wanted to see happen. And, and I got this from listening to my colleagues. One, we want to bring people into the industry and most of us don't know how to do that. We beat down high schools. We've done all this kind of stuff and it's not working right. High school kids, their parents still want them to be doctors and lawyers and president someday. You know, they're not really ready for them to be mechanics yet. So we are also, as we start to build these connections in the community, we're, we're letting people know how much technicians can really make. And to see uh, the look on college-educated people's faces when you tell them a technician can make 150 k plus a year, I I see them second-guessing their own education. (laughs) And they're like, what the heck am I doing uh, working as whatever they're working as? So we want to bring people into the industry. And so I've built a system of referrals where other nonprofits, military transition programs, uh, Department of Corrections, parole, all these places are sending us students for training. So now we don't have to go look for them. Two, I wanted, to, I wanted to create a motivated workforce. You know, a lot of people complain, you know, nobody wants to work. Everyone's lazy, blah, 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 blah. Everyone wants to make the money and not show up and do the work. I thought, well, gosh, who would want to work harder than someone that's sat in prison for a few years? What a great opportunity that would be to be able to come out and, and I was on a meeting with another nonprofit. They, they provide day labor services for parolees. And I heard that they send them to a paperclip factory where they can sort paperclips and they get paid You know, at the end of the day. And I was thinking, good grief. That's a tragedy. I mean, what is going on? Sorting paperclips? No way. Yeah. That's not going to happen. And the more that I start looking at and in, in interviewing parolees, so many of these people, their uncle has a shop, their dad had a shop, they have ASEs, they've worked as a mechanic already. These are people that are ready for our industry. These are people that want to work. Not everybody that went to prison is like a real bad person, right? Yeah, they're in there, but there's also a few people that just did some dumb things, you know? And so I wanted to provide opportunity for people that don't have opportunity. APAC ATI. They, I got this idea um, because of a program I started in Uganda. Um, I went to spend a month in Uganda in 2020. I have a friend that has an NGO there called UTouch, and she's teaching computer um, computer skills, and she has a women's empowerment program and an entrepreneurship program. And just seeing how how broken our welfare system is for one, like when we give people opportunity. It gives them dignity. It gives them the ability to create a new life for themselves. Just feeding people, that doesn't do a whole lot. That just takes care of what's happening right this minute. That's not preparing them to be productive, to get their lives back in order. And so when I was in Uganda, I saw that there's just like this major need for safe auto repair. Um, We were in northern uganda near the south sudan border and we saw this tourist vehicle was pulled over on the side of the road well it wasn't long before i noticed the whole front steering knuckle thing was in the ditch and they were all new parts and so i I knew that someone hadn't tightened it properly or didn't understand how to do the work so when i got back uh, i ended up starting a program in uh, eastern uganda and I wanted to build a vocational training center. My partner over there has a master's in computers and IT. And, and so he wanted to provide advanced computer training so the people that came from my friend's program could then have uh, learn marketable skills like web design and um, coding and programming and computer repair and network repairs and stuff like that. So um, I got in touch with Bosch um, in East Africa And then I wanted to work with them to kind of build their Bosch car service uh, network in East Africa. And then once COVID hit and I couldn't travel back over there, we kind of lost communication with Bosch. And um, we continued to build our program just on the computer side. And it's still going, uh, apacafrica.org. And then um, I'm sitting here in California in lockdown during COVID, and I'm like, "Gosh, why don't I start a nonprofit here? Let me create and perfect this model that we can now take uh, to all 50 states and to developing countries throughout the world." And um, in two and a half years, that's what's that's what's been
0: done. That's incredible. You're changing the industry.
1: Yeah, my, that's my intention. Um, I really this technician shortage is going to be, we're done with that. We're going to, we're going to shift our mindset and we're going to open our minds into maybe who our workers are. The other reason why I like referring people that are a little older to our industry and maybe have made a few mistakes, they have their family behind them now, right? This is now they have support from their family, from their community, from these programs they're in. And so I think it's a great, it's a great time to get someone's attention, right? And bring them into auto repair. I think that'll make them want to work harder. I think that'll bring them a lot of dignity and a lot of pride. And so this program also, this APAC ATI is not just a second chance program. It's not really what it is. It's a training model that works in any repair shop. And so you You know, shop owners can get their own apprentices. If they don't want to work with veterans, they don't want to work with these other groups of people, fine. You know, bring your own. This is a way to train someone from no experience to a B-level tech within 10 months.
0: It's fantastic. If someone wants to get involved or learn more, where can they go?
1: Um, APACATI.org is our website. Um, You can send me a note through there. You can reach me on Facebook. Uh, I've posted many times in the ShopFix group um, different fundraisers and stuff like that. So just find me, uh, find APAC ATI online. And uh, we need shop owners who want to become training centers. Um, We have all the know-how, all the support. All of that is there for you. There's really nothing you have to do. There's no downside for you. Um, you can have a tiny shop or you can have a giant shop. You can have one uh, one apprentice or you can have 20. doesn't matter. Whatever is best for you.
0: Just apply the model.
1: Apply the model.
0: I love it. Chris, what's next for you?
1: Um, my vision is to take um, APAC ATI to all 50 states in 35 countries by 2035. So 2035 is when um, I plan on being done being the doer. And, um, so for me, I I love providing opportunity. That's what does it for me. Like fixing cars and all that stuff is just a means to provide opportunity. Like, you know, if I have multiple locations for my business, great. If I don't great, it's really not important to me. I'm clear that my purpose is to help others awaken on their spiritual journey and that comes through a lot of different ways it could be through training could be through opportunity it could be through auto repair it could be from teaching a class called how to get out of your own way um, I'm really grateful for shopfix for allowing me to do that um, I was really blown away at the last conference just how many people have come on the class and have just said that you know what they got from that was really help them help them move forward and get unstuck and just have some awareness that they didn't have before. And for me, I just want to continue doing that. That's, that's my life's purpose. That's my life's work. And I'm going to continue that.
0: Chris, uh, it's an honor to speak with you. You are transforming lives, you're transforming the industry. Uh, I'm really honored that you're on the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. What a great opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. Got one more question for you. Sure. If you are a car, kind of car would you be?
1: Um, I'm some sort of van. I'm some sort of van that we can travel in and we can have experiences and we can see the world and experience nature and experience different cultures. So yeah, I'm some sort of van.
0: Okay. Like a, like a minivan, a 15 passenger. (laughs) Give me give me some
1: specifics well, here. We're we somewhere between like you know that air cooled VW van oh, yeah. and uh, some camper conversion. I don't know. We're somewhere in between.
0: That, that feels right. I like. That. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, again, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really grateful.
1: You're very welcome.
0: That was my interview with Chris Knuth. I want the show to serve and impact as many people as possible. In our industry. To help me in that mission, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes, subscribe to our show, and tell others about us. If you'd like to contact me, please email me at thomas at dot com or call 615 656 8804. Thanks. Have a great week. No two shops are the same. That's why cookie-cutter advice and coaching does not work. In order for your shop to get to the next level, you must have an action plan designed around your shop's unique needs. You'll also need accountability and encouragement along the way. Let ShopFix Academy help you create your best shop. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com.